they were all interested in the idea of never having a boss. And I said, well, most people, they have one, one or two bosses when they work in a corporate environment. When you own your own business, you have you know, millions of bosses. Every single customer is your boss. And they, uh, they choose to fire you each and every day that they don't come and spend something at your company. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in this episode of Getting Money Right, we are continuing an interview with Josh Moore, a business owner here in Dallas-Fort Worth. He runs a coffee shop. And we've really been enjoying hearing his story, the shift from being an employee to being a consultant and eventually self-employed, then building a business. And he described it as building something that you can push the button and it runs on its own. Um, Not because you want to step out of the business, but you want to free up some of your time, have more margin, and you want to build something that serves people well, even when you're not there. And then obviously this goes into our overall quadrant where the next step would be to continue to invest your personal finances and invest money to make money for you. But I love what you've shared with us, Josh, so far. First, I just want to say thanks again for being on the show. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Absolutely. I feel like I was just here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first thing that I, I really want to point out at this in this episode is something that I've observed in your life um, over our, I'm trying to think of how long, almost 30 years of friendship. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, 30 years, three decades. So 30 years of friendship, just about. And one of the things that Leo and I talk about on the show all the time are four steps to purposeful living, specifically on personal finances. And the first one is to spend on purpose. You know, you have a plan in place before you start spending. Then to save before you spend. You're always saving first before you're spending so that step three, you can increase your financial margin. And then step four is you can invest that margin wisely. So we talk about spending on purpose, saving, increasing your margin. Something that I've seen you do, honestly, well beyond the average person is, is follow these steps. Now, it's not that you had these steps before you started, but I've seen you spend on purpose. I've seen you save. I've seen you create margin in your life. So as people listen and they're like, oh, well, this guy started a business. I wonder if he was just wealthy, had a bunch of money and poured it into a business. Uh, did it start that way? Or what was the process of you being content and delaying that gratification? Just share a little bit of your personal life in that management. Yeah, um, I... Uh... I remember the first time I bought a home, I was only making $10 an hour. This is back in, I think, 2008. I was in my young 20s. And I, uh, the fir- I went to a bank and asked, how can I, you know, if I could get a loan? And they denied me. They said, you don't have bad credit. You just don't have any credit. And so I asked, okay, well, what are three or four things I can do to help that? And the guy was just like, well, you can do this, this, and this, and this. So I did those things. <laughs> And I, I got a loan right away for some something cheap that I could make a few payments on on time. And then after I made four payments, I paid it off. So I showed I built my credit and that helped me to leverage every little bit I got into safe investments. And those investments for me were always the home I lived in. I would always buy a home that I felt I would pray about it. And there was honestly, there was some miraculous things that happened each time I did this. But I would buy a home that needed minor work. It was devalued in the market because people didn't like it. Most people don't want to buy a home that they've got to fix up, but something that wasn't beyond me to repair, like a foundation issue or something like that. 
And so I would buy a house, work my job, and then in the evenings, I would work on fixing it up. I would minor things like updating, you know, the light switches, the, the lighting, painting it was a big one. I would always try to find one with an ugly paint job because it's the easiest thing to fix that does the most dramatic change. So, for example, I did that several times. The, the most recent property I did, I owned for two years. And I, after I, I bought it, I lived in it. I started renting out one of the rooms. And then eventually I rented out the whole thing. And then in two years, I sold it for like a $35,000 profit with just using $5,000 as a down payment to live in it. And then also had extremely cheap, quote unquote, rent. That was how I got enough money to put my own skin in the game towards a business. And then most investors, they don't want to even talk to you about investing in a business venture if you're not putting your own skin in the game. So you got to at least have something. $30,000, it's not, honestly not all that much, but it's enough for them to see the pain that if you were to lose it um, and to give you some credibility. That was how I was able to grow my money without working. And as far as your question was about how I was able to spend wisely and save money, even without making a lot, I was a little bit overboard maybe with my interests were in saving money. Like that was the hobby for me. And I think David, you probably, you were like that yeah, too. Yeah, he suffers from the same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I even had a intervention from a friend uh, about how I was a little bit overboard with that. A great lesson I learned was when it comes to blessings from God, you know, we reap, let's use wheat as an example, how to determine what you're supposed to use to make bread and what you're supposed to use to plant. And I was pretty much not making any bread and just saving it all up to plant. Uh, I had to learn to make to make some bread. I was kind of a Scrooge. I had to learn to have a little bit of generosity. But the key was I wasn't just going after everything that caught my eye. I was, honestly, since I was five years old, I remember asking my mom. I didn't ask my mom. I remember my mom telling me, you know, every little kid wants to be like their dad. My mom would say about my dad, well, your dad, he works hard and saves his money. And so I started to think about working hard and saving my money as a five-year-old. And I would, you know, I remember right after she told me that I took out the trashes, you know, five times in one day trying to earn that nickel until my mom explained that I could only do it once a day. And, but I just had that mentality instilled in me. I was fortunate, honestly, um, to have that. I think we all have something that was put into us. What matters more is what you do with it. I just had to learn to say no to a lot of things. Well, and you were willing to do things that others might not be willing to do. Like you had a roommate that you rented out a room in your home. Um, and, and that's a big deal. Not everybody's willing to do that. But if you want to be a business owner and you want to have margin so you can invest, you have to do some things in your personal life that other people may not do. You have to be a little weird sometimes. Dave Ramsey, you mentioned in the last yeah. episode, Dave Ramsey says, if you're normal, you're broke. So let's be a little weird. <laughs> and and the funny thing is like that was a season. And and now you're able to have a business that you've begun to build and you don't have to rent out a room in the house. Now you still can, but you had a level of contentment in your own life, a level of um, maturity in your identity that you didn't have to find your identity and stuff. And I just thought it was important for the listeners to hear a little bit of that because it's something that Leo and I talk about all the time. But it's something that most people just don't think about. They think I can live the greatest lifestyle while I try to build a business. And it's like sometimes you have to learn contentment, delayed gratification. You've got to start there. And not just sometimes. Leo and I would say you always start there. And then you build. You know, you spend on purpose. Save before you spend. Create financial margin. And then invest wisely. So yeah. that's great. Yeah. 
my dad, he, um, he, I would consider my, my mom and dad to be fairly wealthy. When my dad invites me to go to lunch with him, it's still because he has a coupon. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I've seen that in a lot of, uh, people who, uh, who have wealth, they have it because it's kind of one of those things that's hard to have unless you learn to keep it. Yeah. You're really touching on something that's really important because I think there's a misunderstanding out there that people who are in business somehow either have been given that opportunity that others haven't, or they got lucky, or what, whatever the reason they're successful, people think that's the goal. You want to get to the point where you have so much money, and you can drive the right car, live in the right neighborhood, and just live at a higher level. And that's not really been my experience with business owners and people who gravitate to building their own business, being entrepreneurs. They're actually, I won't say that they're cheap, but they're very frugal. They don't, they don't like waste. I was they just don't like for waste. a while. <laughs> well, okay, so but but you said that over time you learn how to build. Yeah, once, not just to, not just to sew, but also make. Some I had a, a friend, and uh, I'm really thankful because I think I could see how being cheap, the difference between cheap and frugal. Mm. Uh, I'll give an example. I would we would get together once a week, and it would be a different person's turn to to buy something for everyone to eat. Everyone would always get a great pizza, you know, and I would buy the, the you know the Tom Thumb bake pizza and it cost five dollars and so they were like what well you just got you this I was being selfish I guess you could say you're not gonna get people wanting to invest in you if you're selfish mm. uh, they're gonna want to invest in you if you're wise and generous yeah that's good that's good so yeah I mean there's a journey for all of us so if you are on the cheap side you got to learn how to be less uh, it's okay to be frugal. It's not okay to be cheap. Yeah, that's yeah, a great I, way to put it. I think somebody, I think it was Robert Kiyosaki that said this, that, you know, if you're a cheap person and you become a, a wealthy person, you're just going to be a wealthy, cheap person. <laughs> and it's like, that's the worst kind of person. It's like, you got all this wealth and you're just hoarding it. And then that's not loving, that's not caring for people. And people will know that and won't want anything to do with you. The thing that you said about, just a heart behind what you're talking about, this is what I really want people to understand is that you came into it with focus. You wanted to get somewhere, and you were willing to sacrifice whatever necessary to get there. Maybe sometimes it was more than you should have, but at the end of the day, you were driven. You had a goal in mind. You wanted to go there. And I just want to dispel any notion that starting a business is going to be this. You put some money into it, and it's just going to be like the lotto. You pull the handle, and everything happens. It never stops. I don't think entrepreneurs ever come into it. True entrepreneurs come into it with this idea. At some point, I'm going to have so much money, I don't have to do anything. That's just not why they're in it. So, Josh, let's talk a little bit more about your business. What should be on the warning label of owning a business? Uh, yeah, it, it really depends on the type of business. But for mine, a brick and mortar where I'm serving customers every day and day out. I remember I got to speak to a bunch of kids at a, like a summer camp where they were talking about entrepreneurship. And I told them they were all interested in the idea of never having a boss. And I said, well, most people, they have one, one or two bosses when they work in a corporate environment. When you own your own business, you have you know, millions of bosses. Every single customer is your boss. And they, uh, they choose to fire you each and every day that they don't come and spend something at your That's company. Good. I'm going to temper that with another statement. I don't believe that the customer is always right. I do believe that the customer should always be respected. Sometimes the most disrespectful thing, if you think about it, you can do is just nod your head and say yes, whatever, to a customer that's having a complaint. You're not really listening to them. You're just trying to get them to go away. So I make sure a customer is respected. And that doesn't mean I always just bow down to whatever they're saying. The reason I make that clear, because it's also important for my employees to know that I have their back. Um, and that's one of the 
worst things you can say in a company as in a leadership is customer is always right. Just as a blanket statement, employees instantly feel, man, my boss doesn't have my back. They don't trust me. They trust the customer more than me. In the coffee shop industry, every single customer you have is pre-coffee. <laughs> so <laughs> all of us are a little bit more grumpy <laughs> that's, uh, before we had coffee. That's great because everybody else gets to experience that person later in the day once they've had their coffee. Yeah. But every person you guys interact with is waiting on their, their exactly. caffeine kick. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we have to learn to be patient. But honestly, it's not. Uh, that's just a joke, really. It's I wouldn't say it's true because right, they right. also love us because we're we're the purveyor of coffee. Yeah. So, so you've really specialized in, um, uh, the coffee business and the coffee world, but how, just in general, how would you create and identify a business that's worth being invested in? How would you create that business that others want to invest in? And then how would you identify a business that you want to invest in? What are some key characteristics of that? Yeah. I always try to put myself in the investor's shoes. So I ask myself, what do they want? Are they, is this a vanity project for them? Is this uh, something that they're wanting to make money in? Is this something because they believe in the goal? They believe in the, the heart behind it, the, the vision. I think about that because not every single investor, even if they're willing to give me money, is a good fit. But putting those things aside, one great way to cater to investors is to figure out how you can de-risk the deal while reserving more for yourself. So uh, a real-life example for me, I have investors at my coffee shop. And the way I presented the deal to um, several investors, I actually uh, only took one of them, but I had multiple interested um, and wanting to invest. And I'm, I let them all know I'm only going to take investment for one because I knew what I needed. I had a business plan that was, to be honest, I, I ended up needing more. But thankfully, the investor I chose had more. I negotiated my contract first with the landlord. And in that contract, we had what's called a tenant allowance, meaning I had to spend the money first and get open. But once I did that, they were responsible for a certain portion of that construction. Even if, if I was able to keep it all within that budget, they paid it all back. Over $100,000, I'll just put it that much, that they paid me to build a coffee shop in their space. And that makes sense because I am making improvements to their space. It ended up costing more than that because of all the delays with our mezzanine and you know having shady contractors. First time, I didn't have a lot of contacts in the industry yet. And then uh, the other way I de-risked it, for the investor is I said, okay, my goal was not only a controlling ownership, but a, at least 75% of the company. But I also knew I wasn't going to be putting 75% of the money. Um, so for me, yes, it was me running the business. I'm responsible. Their shadow, all they have to do is provide the money and, and that's it. And, you know, and guidance and, you know, input, stuff like that. But ultimately I was in control. But for that extra risk they're taking by putting more money in, we contracted that once that tenant allowance came back, two-thirds of that would instantly going back towards them getting their investment back. And then everything left over at that point when we did owner's draws. Normally, an owner's draw goes to you at your the same proportion of the company you own. So if I own 75%, I get 75% of the owner's draw. We made an inverse relationship to where until they were back at zero as if they had never invested they got that 75% of the ownership. So I de-risk it. You're going to get your money back first before I get it back. I also gave them a lot of very detailed metrics, just a little pro tip, a way to get sales data from all the companies around you, at least for food and restaurant type stuff, is TABC data. Anybody that sells alcohol, that's public knowledge. You can get that. Realtors can get that for you. So you can look up all the alcohol sales data, even if you don't know their food sales. 
And there's tried, fairly tried and true generalized metrics that if you know they're doing this much in alcohol, they're probably doing this much in food. And for, and, you know, just look at the industry they're in, that's the specific type of restaurant. So from that, I was able to show how much revenue is passing through, you know, within a square mile of where I'm opening. So from that, I was able to extrapolate really pretty good data on what to expect. Now, COVID kind of threw all that out the door, but showing the math, making it reasonable and make sense, not, you know, throwing a pie in the sky, it really helps a investor want to invest in you. In the same way that I'm, I'm doing that to be a good investment, I look for that as well. Once I get to the place of investing right now, I'm investing everything I have into my own business but I do invest in other people and other ventures, my time, my energy, my emotion. There are people that I meet. There's even been a few coffee shops I've consulted, had consulting meetings with um, that I'm not putting any money towards, but I am helping them with my time and energy. That's good. That's good. I really like what you just said because it really says that you did everything that you could do to make sure that when you're asking this investor to come in, you're removing any kind of, no, there's no 100%. Nobody knows the future. Nobody knew COVID was going to come our way, right? But what you did know is you knew what it would take to be successful. And you presented that to the investors and eventually to the one investor you chose to the degree where they felt comfortable to write that check. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's mm-hmm. really important because so many people think, well, like you see it on Shark Tank, you can have 5% of my business for $3 million. And it's like, how did you even come up with that number, mm-hmm. right? And so you did your due diligence of helping that investor understand, because they're not, they may not be a coffee expert. They may not know anything about your business. So you have to do everything necessary to help them understand it. But there's more to, to a business than investing. So so that that's, I, I love what you just shared there. So talk about the next step then, hiring people, making it successful. You had a plan, you put it into practice, you had investment so that you can get started. What did it look like to hire the right people? Yeah. You know, you're looking probably for somebody like you. So how did you go about that? Yeah. Well, for me, so my my case is a little interesting. My business is called Inclusion Coffee. Um, and if I haven't said it yet, I got to do a plug. It's over there by UTA um, in Arlington, Texas. It's called Inclusion Coffee. And I remember talking to my wife and saying, I'm called Inclusion Coffee. I'm really, I care a lot about that, the concept there. You know, I've worked at businesses where every single person that worked there looked the same, demographically speaking. And I didn't want that. But I also didn't want to specifically pursue someone just because, For let's just be candid, I didn't want to hire someone, well, you're black, I'm called Inclusion Coffee, I don't want to hire someone just for that reason alone. I feel like that's going too far the other way. And so I was praying about it, and I, I just heard the Lord say, I'm going to send you the right people. Mm. I'm going to send you the right people. All you need to worry about is building the business with the vision I've given you, and I will send you the right people. And so this is a really cool story. I was up there painting. I see somebody looking into my business, and this guy's my manager now. I'm not going to tell the whole story because he's a little embarrassed by it. But long story short, I get him to come talk to me, try to figure out what he wants. And it turns out he kind of knows me from another business venture. He'd made me coffee before. And I kind of remembered him. And uh, he said, hey, I've been coming here. Well, he didn't tell me this until months and months later after I'd hired him. But apparently he'd been going to the street corner that my business is in and praying several times a week, asking the Lord that he really, he re- what he's praying for is he wanted to own a coffee shop on this corner. Mm. He's like, Lord, I don't know how in the world I would ever do it, but I want to own a coffee shop in this corner. I, I think this place needs to be a coffee shop. And then one day he shows up to pray, 
and sees plastered in the window inclusion coffee looks in and you know sees people working on it and so he's looking in trying to figure out what's going on at this corner so i meet him and he says i just want to help i want to learn i want to he wouldn't even let me pay him the first couple times Mm, um and finally i forced him to let let me you know pay him and he ended up uh, eventually coming to work, you know, full time there. He's the biggest reason why I still have my head, because he really is invested. And I, you know, I want to make him an, a part owner one day. And I told him I, I'm going to put you through the same process that I went through. Yeah. And he's all about it. I, the reason he left his previous job is he wanted someone to invest in him like that, um, and he just wasn't getting that. By the way. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's somewhere in the 80, 85% of reason why people leave their jobs is almost never the pay and other factors. It's almost always their direct leadership, the person directly above them. They leave because of something to do with that person. Not to say that I have to know that someone's obviously probably left a company I've managed because of me. I'm sure it's happened. (laughs) But it's important that I wanted to make sure he knew that I saw in him something and make sure he knew that I saw that. And that it was worth investing in. And he's, he's the same in me. He's investing a lot in me yeah. in, in the business. Well, you did that with David Clark. Yeah. You invested extra time, extra energy, and you invested partially in yourself to learn and grow. But you made sure that David was taken care of. And, and now, if this guy does that well with you... I mean, from a biblical standpoint, I think the Lord's going to bless him one day. Yeah. And it's not your responsibility, but you have a heart to make that an opportunity, which is cool. I, like, it's, It really is going back to what you said. Love, If love is the foundation for your business, it's not going to fail. Right. How do I love people well? How do I respect every person? And I, I was just glad. It's a great story. Yeah. And, and so to answer the question a little bit more succinctly, how do I get the right people? You have to be the right person to those people. And the right people will gravitate great. to you. This per- this perfectly flows into the next question. It's really simple. What are some practical processes that you have to hiring people? I mean, you, you said, okay, it, not everyone is going to believe this, but you believe that, that God directly brings you certain people. But how do you then vet them practically? <laughs> I'm still learning that one. It's hard, honestly, to know. I pray about it. But one, I never am the only one to interview, I always make sure other people that I trust, because there's always going to be something I don't see. You know, whenever I'm interviewing someone, I almost always feel like they've become my friend because I'm trying to get to know them as a person, not just as what they can do for me. I guess one big question of how I vet them is, and I let them know, I say, I want to make sure that not only are you good for this company, but that this company is good for you, because you might be a great fit for us. But if you come working here, you don't, you know, you didn't have an accurate idea of what it's going to be like and you start realizing it's not a great fit for you, man, within a week or two, you're going to be disgruntled because we weren't a great fit for you. And I don't want that for you. (laughs) So I make sure that their goals align with what I can offer them. Very clear on what the pay will be like, how hard it will be. The coffee shop job is very much romanticized. People think it's just this easy, cool, fun job. You still got to clean the toilets. You know, I clean toilets almost every day. Every time I use a bathroom at my coffee shop, I clean it whenever I leave it. I don't ask my employees to do that every single time. You know, they got to get back to the front and wash their hands and everything. But yeah, that's how I do. I give them accurate, accurate picture. And I've had plenty of interviews where I thought that they would be good until we got into the reality of what the job is like. I don't try to scare them away from it. I try to give them the real picture of what it's going to be like. And I recognize that... 
I want people to feel like it's more than just a job. I want them to get out of it more than just the pay. But I do recognize that that's important. And so I let them know that I'm, I'm not in here just for the money. And so I don't want you guys to be here just for the money. We're trying to serve people and we're trying to impact our community that we are in. Um, we want to be known as a place where you can come and just be yourself and relax and get refreshed, not just because of the environment, because of the people that are there. I try to, to lead people in doing that and doing it myself. I think uh, that helps me get the right people to apply, but also to kind of deter the, the wrong people. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Would you hire you? Oh, I would definitely hire me. <laughs> Sounds really prideful. <laughs> but uh, I, I use, I'll say this, I use my own mistakes that I've made whenever I'm confronting someone about a mistake they're making or something that I want them to do different or that I see that they can grow in. I always try to find a mistake I've made to say, hey, this is how I used to do it. And I've learned from my own mistakes that to do it differently. I see you making one of my old mistakes. And that helps them to um, not feel so down about needing to improve because uh, they see me saying that I had to improve that way too. I would definitely hire me, but I would hire me with the realization that I need to, if I see someone that has the experience that I have, I would make sure that um, I have something to give them to match that. So like the instance of the guy who's managing, I'm making sure that I'm making it interesting for him, that he's not getting paid enough for what he does. So I'm making sure he gets to learn. He gets opportunities to be challenged. Um, and that is for the best employees, that's a really important thing that they need in a job. They, they want to be challenged because they're just as concerned with personal growth as they are in financial growth. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So as, a, as kind of as a last question, Josh, what is the main reason you have this business? What is your goal every day? What do you hope to accomplish through it? What is your mission? Yeah, for what you're doing. It's kind of funny um, that you use the word mission because when I was in college at UTA, actually right where my coffee shop is, I was um, on this ministry trip with a broken leg and I realized I'd never asked God what I should do with my life. I was just kind of following the well-beaten path, mm. which is pretty good. Um, it, the well-beaten path will get you to a place of security, but it might not get you through a place of um, faith-led security. So I did. I said, okay, God, well... What do you want me to do with my life? And he spoke to me three words. He said, be a missionary. But with those three words came a lot of meaning. I, I knew it wasn't, you know, sell all my belongings and go move to another country like, the, like we think of a traditional missionary. I knew it was that he was going to be giving me missions. And the first step was that he told me, I'm not saying this is for you out there necessarily, whoever's listening, but he told me to quit all my jobs. I had four jobs at the time and to drop out of school. And uh, just like Abraham in the Bible where it says, where he calls Abraham to go to the land that I will show you. Mm. He didn't tell him where to go. He just told him <laughs> where, not to, where, where not to stay. That's right. All God told me at that time was where not to stay. Mm. And eventually, as I was obedient, he showed me, you know, where to go from there. Um, but usually one or two steps at a time. So the reason I'm doing this coffee shop to get back to the actual question um, was it's a mission for me. It's one that God gave me. And I called it Inclusion Coffee because I feel like that Arlington, it's a very diverse place. It has very few independent coffee shops. Arlington has a greater population density than Fort Worth or Dallas. Hmm. Most people don't know that. Um, but way, way fewer independent coffee shops. I think I can only think of maybe two others besides myself. And, you know, Dallas and Fort Worth, they've got 
10, 15, 20 independent companies. I felt like they were underserved. So I'm doing it to serve that community in such a way that when you create a good coffee shop, you create a place for people to get to know strangers. And I think uh, in our society, the best way we can promote inclusion within our society is to get to know strangers. I don't want society to become, I'll just say what inclusion is. Inclusion is when different parts can come together as a whole without losing their individual distinctness. Mm. I don't think we need to all become the same. God created us all to be different. We're all different and unique. I don't want to mentor society to be just like me. I want to mentor society with my coffee shop and by as an example to be who God created them to be. And I do happen to believe as a Christian that the only way someone can become that is through knowing God. That's just my belief, and I don't try to force it on everybody who comes to my shop. But I, I do at least want them to experience love. And if they experience that, then they're meeting love. And we know God is love. And so that's my mission, is to, to show love to the community. And I hope through that to change it for the better, regardless of who comes in. I mean, all kinds of people come to my coffee shop. And I, don't, I try not to focus on that they're different than me and just try to focus on um, that, you know, I need to love them. And uh, yeah, that's my mission. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, you, you've thought this through. That's really cool. That's really cool. Well, Josh, we are so grateful that you took the time to be with us over the least last two episodes uh, and just share a business owner's perspective. I think our audience uh, has certainly gotten uh, some rich, rich thoughts and ideas and content and just even your own journey. The fact that you did this intentionally, you you did never quit. You kept going. And, and even now, through COVID and everything that's happening, you're still at it. And it shows that you are doing it for the right reason. And uh, I think just the last question, certainly, and your answer to it proves that. So thank you so much for taking the time Absolutely, to pleasure. be with us. We appreciate it. Um, and we appreciate you for listening. We thank you for joining us. And we hope that it was helpful. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast, either on Apple Podcast or any other podcast app you're using. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it. Uh, leave us a, a comment on social media. Post this podcast on social media. Let other people know that this podcast exists, that personal finance is something that they should be interested in and growing. To gain access to this podcast, show notes, financial tools, and other relevant content, you can visit leosabo.com where you can find me and everything that I'm up to. David, where can people go to find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, you can come over to stewardshippastors.com and check out the book Jesus on Money. And then just all the videos and downloadable budget tools and helpful resources for churches and leaders who want to help teach people about being a good manager according to biblical principles. So stewardshippastors.com and then the book Jesus on Money. And then Josh, tell us a little bit more um, about Inclusion Coffee, where people can go to find you, the website, how, how can people connect with what you guys are doing? Yeah, it's real simple, inclusioncoffee.com. And they can also go on Instagram at inclusioncoffee. We are located right across from City Hall in Arlington on the intersection of Center and Abram Street. And UTA is also right there in Levitt Pavilion. And we're right on that corner there. Uh, lots of parking around us. So come out and see us and get a cup of coffee. I brought David a pumpkin spice latte. It's our own unique creation. I think you'll enjoy it. it. It's literally the best pumpkin spice latte I've had. I'm drinking it as we're going through the whole the last couple episodes. I've just been sipping on it, and it's been amazing. And I'm on the Instagram right now. I'm following. I'm now a follower. I'm on the Facebook page page for Inclusion Coffee right now, literally on my computer. I'm now 
I've actually I've already liked it because I liked it as soon as you built the page. I remember uh, back in the day. But I'm on the website, and the website is beautiful. It lets you um, sign up for specials, and so just head over to Arlington, check out Inclusion Coffee, think about the mission and the heart behind the business owner and his heart to serve and love people. Go go experience that as a customer and just go so support the mission. So I love it. Check out Inclusion Coffee. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money right. I don't think we need to all become the same. God created us all to be different. We're all different and unique. I don't want to mentor society to be just like me. I want to mentor society with my coffee shop and by as an example to be who God created them to be. Mm-hmm.